the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 25, Ship of Fools. Jen once thought the effects of elephantitis on Lizard were repulsive. She had no idea how far the depths of ugly went. These robed creatures, these dissolving hordes, didn't resemble people at all. Before one could even make sense of their faces, the smattering of color blurred through. Each face somehow contained streaks of red and purple, fused with deep browns and blacks. Their skin had a closer resemblance to some form of tie-dyed sandpaper than actual skin. One would be challenged to figure out what race and skin color these creatures once had. One would be at a loss to fit these forms into God's creation. The word perverse overwhelmed Jen. She suppressed an urgent gag and veered her eyes away from the horror she saw on the right triangle flagged boat. This was perverse. This was wrong. Morally. Somehow. We need to leave, Gadar blurted out very uncharacteristically. The whole crew caught the glimpse of fear in the first mate's voice, and none dissented, at least for a moment. Jen returned her horrored gaze to the strange ship of monsters. Beyond their discoloration, there were missing parts. One figure not only was missing its right ear, but the whole right third of its head looked indented. Or missing. Another had no nose. Still another looked entirely like an alien being, as Jen saw no evidence of shoulders on it at all. It was a deranged stick figure, brought into light, begotten into three dimensions. It didn't end there. Where there were at least correct body parts, there was also excesses. Boils and skin flabs and rotting points swamped eyes, mouths, skulls. All Jen wanted to do was get away from this. She'd sigh and meticulously work on forgetting these creatures in the coming days. No one should live with this memory. No one should see this sight, Jen thought. Maybe Miles could take it away. Maybe the whole Orion could embark on a mass dose of hypnosis to remove this stain on their collective memories. Jen closed her eyes. But the figures remained. The worst one had no lips, no nose. Over its eyes were bulbous skin growths, purple and red, the gestaltian result of which looked like a relic of Edvard Munch's The Scream, a rudimentary creature made up of a circular hole for a mouth, a rectangular abyss where nostrils should be, and an ungodly excess where one should be able to see the world. No! Captain Alf yelled, a long, stupor-induced, delayed reaction of Gadar's demand to leave. Whatever their plague, we need to know it. They could be patient zero, or the last remnants of a world gone mad. We need to know what happened to them. Why? Miles blurted out. There's plenty of horrible things in this world. We need not tunnel through them all. Leave the pitiable ones be. Lizard, I want you to get us as close as possible to their boat, side by side, 
as you can. But be vigilant. We don't want to actually touch the boat. The engine roared as Lizard spun the Orion around, back towards the unpure things. At the feel of a turn of course, Robles peeked out from below deck. What are we doing? We're getting close enough to them to communicate. Lex, grab the walkie-talkies, turn them to two. When we're near enough to them, spy out their skipper and toss the walkie-talkie to him. Can you do that, young love? Aye, aye, Captain. Jen watched Jorge Robles struggle to breathe. He was anxious. The daredevil extremist was on edge. He gulped air as if preparing to dive underwater before returning to his cabin below deck. What was going on with him? Happy to contrive an excuse to go away from the wretched sighted hand, Jen moseyed down below deck, announcing to no one in particular, I'm going to go check on Robles. Below, Robles had locked himself in the bathroom. He was flagellating himself again. Thy will is hard. Thy will is just. I will not let you down. Jorge? Ah, just, just, just a minute. It's me, Jen. Just give me a minute, will you? I'm, I'm pooping. Can I come in with you? you? You can keep the door closed if you'd like. Pause. Then door unlocked. Jen pulled the door open. Robles' beady eyes glared back at her, his shirt off, his weeping back on full display. What looked like centuries of wounds on his back, healed with patchwork indecision, displayed itself to Jen. Close the door. Jen followed orders, but the twosome couldn't fit in this stall room without some bending and twisting. Jen tried her best to keep away from Robles' weeping back. It looked sticky. Why are you doing this? Don't you know? I'm a pagan. I guess I don't really know what that means. I take orders, and I follow them. Whose orders? Why? Why Why do this, Jorge? Are you ordered to beat yourself? A tear streamed down Robles' left cheek. Slow! 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 Godar was heard yelling. Easy! Easy, lizard! The cap chimed in. There we have it! There we have it! Thanks! You have the walkie-talkie. You have your man. I think so. Lex yelled back to Alf. When you get to Heaven's Gate, put in a good word for me, okay? Robles muttered. What? No. What? No. Uh, I'll meet you there. I picked the wrong horse, Jen. But maybe they'll have mercy on me up there. Up where? In the afterlife. Go! Toss it! Toss it, young love! Well done. Good throw. Why are you talking like this? It's, it's something on that ship, isn't it? I've seen it before. Jen drew her mouth closer to Robles's ear. What is it? It's more Mayan wizardry. This? How do you know? Everything can't be Mayan, Jorge. Mayan, Celtic, Egyptian, Sumerian. We're talking about the same thing, Jennifer. What? What do you mean? Emissaries of the old knowledge. What's that? Jen exclaimed, alarmed. Quickly, Jorge, just inches from Jen's face, kissed her. 
flung the bathroom door open, and ran up deck, swiping his shirt on while he did so. Jen kneeled hunched over and unclear as to what just occurred. Jorge's kiss wasn't romantic. It was intimate, but fast, and like a goodbye. Jen wished she had known Robles better before this moment so that she could better gauge the situation. Ah! Go! Marco! Miles! Come look at him, gents! He's dead! Don't touch him! Marco yelled. At this, Jen hurried up through the hatch, climbing past the foresail and the foreboom towards the quarterdeck. There, a body lay. Its arm lay a clear foot away from its body, detached rather bloodlessly. It was one of them, one of the monsters. It seemed now to Jen that the entire crew surrounded this new corpse. What... what happened? Jen asked in astonishment. He... he must have climbed the eagle's nest and dove. Dove? Jen repeated incredulously. It happened like this. As the Orion neared the strangers, all eyes were on Lex and the figure she prepared to toss the walkie-talkie to. The crew's attention diverted, one of the robed ones climbed up their highest mast. With 20 vertical feet of clearance, the monster had plenty of air time to land aboard the deck of the Orion, but his weak body didn't withstand the deck floor, and he died instantly upon his thud, his innards plopping out like jelly inside his chest cavity. We've got some heavy-duty disinfectants locked in the hull. I'll get them and clean up this mess. Nobody touch anything. We don't know how this disease is transmitted. Merkel barked. Do you know Lizard called out. Gadar, will you join me? Let's see if they tell us what the hell is going on. Lex fumbled at her walkie-talkie. <laughs> Gunshot from below deck. Jen followed the horde below, everyone reacting like ants following the nearest and soonest loud sound. Getting there, another body lay dead by the kitchen floor. A bullet in its head, a bullet in its chest. You shouldn't have stripped my door. Isaac said stubbornly. You've had a gun this whole time? Father Thomas asked. I thought just the Skipper and Merkel had guns, said Lex. I had to do it. Merkel came last from his search for the disinfectant. Everyone on deck, now! There could be more trying to come aboard. Jen hurried up. What Merkel said was true. One of those things managed to sneak below deck without anyone noticing. Lizard took the helm and beelined as fast as possible away from the monster ship. Over the walkie-talkie, a voice spoke in Spanish. Lex heard and responded. The translation of that conversation follows. He says, We're sorry. We're so sorry. Hello, this is Alexandra Keitel of the Orion. We are in an American adventure schooner. Please tell us who you are. He says, We're sorry. We're hungry. Hungry? Then why not ask for food? We would have given you food. We know. We know. It's wrong. It's wrong of us to want it. It's wrong of us to ask. Please tell us who you are. Sounds like he's crying. We want to eat you. We want you. We want you. We want you all. We want to eat you. You're cannibals? No answer. End transmission. The boat was searched, and there was no appearance of another life form. There was, however, a skiff beside the Orion. Whilst everyone turned their attention to the jumper, the real mission was taking place on the skiff. The diver sacrificed his life as a decoy. The monster in the skiff paddled out to the Orion, flanked the crew, thinking first to go below deck, maybe to corner people one by one. It was a godsend that Sir Isaac carried a gun with him. A gun that supposedly no one knew about. A gun not listed on the ship's manifest. 
the Orion purred away from the demon ship. But now, the demon ship followed. Captain, what do we do? We keep going, the first mate answered. They'll tire. We'll ride them out. As for the captain, his face was blank. And then, before the chase even got a foot, the world changed. The endgame card was played. Jorge Robles jumped and climbed aboard the monster's skiff. He promptly began to steer his small vessel back towards the stranger danger. Robles! What in God's earth are you doing, man? The captain blurted out. Jorge waved a pistol in the air and responded. I swiped Isaac's gun. We can't let him get there, Godard stated to the captain. What can we do? said Captain Alf. We could shoot holes in the skiff, Merkel answered. What good would that do? Godard looked hard into her husband's eyes. If he gets on that boat, we can't let him back on ours. She's right, Merkel affirmed. Of course we can. We'll just quarantine him for a while. You'd risk the entire crew, the entire expedition. In protest, the captain yelled out, Robles, don't do this, man. If you do, there'll be no saving you this time. Lex too shouted, You don't have to go. Father Thomas, you are loved. Jorge, come back. Miles Fa watched silently. Tears rolled down Jen's face. Robles knew what he was doing, Jen thought. He knew, somehow, as soon as we made contact with that evil vessel, he's not planning on coming back. That's why he asked for a good word in heaven. He was being literal. He's worried about his soul. Jen couldn't help but add on to the shouts urging Robles to change course. This won't save you! This won't get you into heaven! Father Thomas turned a queer look Jen's way. Merkel reappeared with a rifle. He aimed at the skiff, but wavered. I don't want to miss and hit him. It was a moment of uncharacteristic trepidation from the rogue journeyman. Do it now, or forget it, Godard added. Hesitation. Jorge Robles made it to the boat. A team of robed ones helped boost him aboard. As they reached down, Jen paid attention to their pussing, oozing, lactating sores and missing parts. Robles had now touched them. It was true, then. He wasn't coming back. All the boat's robed ones encircled Robles, maybe a dozen or more. They were enveloping him. A scream from Robles. The Orion hummed with worry as they watched their friend and shipmate overwhelmed by flesh. He dropped out of sight, hidden beneath the cavalcade of the robed indwelling. They're eating him, Lex cried out. Gadar yelled at Merkel. Before he had a chance to respond, she swiped the gun from his hands and lowered her aim. Seven bodies fell to pieces. A remaining five robes scampered off to the furthest corners of the boat. Great shot! Captain Alf yelled exultantly at his wife. I didn't do it, Godar confessed. No. Robles stood with Isaac's gun in his grip. He'd snuck away with it. He planned to murder the monsters with his own hands in cold blood. Why? He called back to the Orion. I'm out! Can you? He stopped mid-sentence. Robles had spotted something on the deck. The walkie-talkie. Hmm? Come in, Orion. Lex jumped out of her skin. She'd still been holding the two-way in her left hand. Robles, this is Lex. 
I know. I can see you. The two stared at each other from opposing ships. What are you doing, Jorge? I'm going to talk to the captain before... before the end. But I'm out of bullets. Can you take out any others on deck? I don't want to be... surprised. Lex turned her attention to Gadar. You catch that? There's one. Gadar plugged a bullet into a monster hiding behind the mast. He fell to pieces too, dead instantly from Gadar's rifle. What's the spirit? Robles responded. I'm going to go under. See what I can see. Stay on the line. Robles, are you hurt? Give me that! The captain swiped the radio out of Lex's hands. Jorge, this is your captain speaking. Are you hurt? Does it matter? I'll make it long enough. Whatever this is, we need to find out what the cause is. Give me radio silence while I'm below deck. Okay, we'll be here. The intervening minutes brought silence save for three bangs from Gadar's rifle, two of which hit their mark. The hushed crowd waited in utter motionlessness for Robles' voice to return. There was no room for anxiety, worry, expectations of any kind. To survive, you live in the now. Only, the now didn't have anything for anyone to do. So, as if one unit, the Orion stayed motionless. And then, the voice. Brooks? Yes, Jorge! We're here! Here's what they knew. Gadar peeked her head close enough to the walkie-talkie to be picked up. Robles! Robles, stay with who you are. Yeah, well, I got the skipper here. He tells me they're a part of a bigger group. A group dedicated to solving the riddles of existence. They're an ancient group. A group from the past, generation after generation, has passed down their knowledge. And they live throughout the world in different times. But, okay, alright. He's telling me a lot of tedium that's unhelpful. Uh, apparently, they follow the Greek Pythagoras. The Pythagoreans. Jen never took any higher level math courses. The name Pythagoras sounded familiar, but no Eurekas struck her at the sounding of his name. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Lizard whispered. Okay, what else? Gadar insisted Robles go on. Uh, okay. I'm going to try to make this quick. I'm... I'm losing a lot of blood. Are you okay? Lex worried. Uh, I probably don't have much time. I need to... I need to tell you. And, and then prepare. Prepare for what? Lex asked dumbly. The rumors of Pishtako. The Pythagoreans thought they knew who he was. A man came to them, came to their camp, a few years ago, raving about his accomplishments in uh, genetic splicing or something like that. He had some sort of vision of how genetics and geometry have never been married, and that with the Pythagoreans' help, this man could start the world over. He could rewrite life's script. Did he give them the plague? The captain yelled. Not exactly. The skipper here says once the rumors started circulating around locally, and that there appeared to be truth to it, the crew set sail for an island they believe... They believe 
Pishtaka creates that. Creates? The belief was that this man... What's the name of the man, Robles? Miles butted in. The man... He moved to an island and started his work with a few followers. Wait. Believers, the skipper says. Gadar. And the plague? He said they had the coordinates of the island. The man had given it to them when he first tried to partner with the Pythagoreans. When this ship, the Known Triangle, that's the name, got within eyesight of the island, there was a pulse. An electromagnetic pulse. An EMP? Yeah. That explains the arrows, Marco added. They thought the EMP was some sort of solar flare. They say they physically felt it when it hit. So they anchored several kilometers off the coast of the island for the night. But during the night it came. What came? They say it was... They say it was a griffin. Ludicrous, Merkel mumbled. They landed on the ship. They knew it had to be from the island, uh, a creation of Pistaco, I guess. But one of the crew wanted to catch it. He... Excuse me, she. There's women on the boat? Captain Alf asked rhetorically. She threw a net on it. She tried to wrangle it in, and uh, the griffin's talons managed to scratch her. That was it, wasn't it? Lex added. He says, no one thought anything of it. The griffin managed to wrestle free and fly back to the island. But fear struck the crew. No one knew how to handle the existence of this uh, monster flyer. The captain decided to go back to land, report their findings, and regroup with a later expedition. After four days, the lady who scratched started to show odd signs. She wanted to eat. She wanted to eat fish raw. She got really touchy with all the crew. Handsy. Then she got a bad fever. By that time, everyone saw what was happening. Her nose turned black. Uh, The captain says she tried walking to the bathroom one day, and she bumped her black nose, and, and it cracked and completely fell off. So, they killed her. Silence from the Orion. frog caught in Robles' throat. Their wretched fate was now tied to his. But it was too late. One by one they all started showing the signs. It makes them mad. Even now I've pinned the skipper down but, but with a free leg he keeps rubbing his foot on my leg. The plague wants to live. It wants to live out. Listen. There's plenty of lighter fluid in the cabin. I'll rustle around and find some other flammable materials. But you need to do it. I don't want suicide on my soul. No. No. Lex sobbing. Honey, it's okay. Uh, Alexandra, pass the walkie-talkie to the Godard. Right now, sweetie. Would you do that for me? No. I won't do it. I won't let you do this. It's okay. It's okay, Lex. I just need you to pass the walkie-talkie to Gadar. Do this one thing for me. Lex relinquished the radio to Gadar's firm grasp. Robles, I'm here. 
Lex ran off to bed, head in her hands. You understand what's at stake here, right? We can't let this ship make contact with anyone else. That's right. But there's one thing. There's a book here. The skipper says it's a bound copy of an ancient stone carving. The thing's small, pocket-sized. I'll drop it into the skiff. Once we're gone, get it. Be careful not to touch it, though. Not with your skin. I, I don't know, you know, it might be carrying... It. We won't do that. As you wish, just passing on direct orders from this side. You don't take orders from them, Robles. Jorge was frustrated with Godard's ever-exacting nature. Manuela, I'm going to die. Don't quarrel with me. Silence on the other side. Pass the radio to Elf. Godard did so wordlessly. Alfred. Yes, Jorge. This is your captain. Alfred said, trying to sound as natural as possible. In my bags, there's a small stone. His name is Metzli. She is a god of the moon. He looks like a rabbit in the moon. It's a he or she? We're not sure. Maybe both. Maybe neither. He doesn't tell us much about herself. Get him and she'll aid you. She'll be a charm on all the house of Orion. He has been for me. Okay, Jorge, you mad pagan. We'll faithfully do what you ask. Thank you, friend. Please pass the radio to Jennifer. Jen. Yeah? Remember what I told you. I will. It's the biggest responsibility I've ever asked of anyone. Please remember. You will, right? I will, Jorge. Promise me, Jennifer Fee. I... I promise. Good. Then I'll walk you talk you back to Lex. I'll be ready in a few moments. Jorge popped up and down a few times amidst the deck of the known triangle, soaking the wood with lighter fluid. At one point, another monster came up from the shadows. Jorge shoved him down, and the imbecile looked to be shattered. It was obvious, however, even without having to look through binoculars, that Jorge was oozing blood. He looked to have a mouth-sized gash on the right side of his neck. His right cheek dangled by the strings of a few pieces of skin. No one would say it out loud, but his wounds were consistent with bite marks. The cannibal crew of the known triangle had at least gotten two good sinks into Jorge Robles. Then, without hesitation and without any apparent remorse, the Orion watched Jorge Robles mount the mainsail of the known triangle. He scooted up to the eagle's nest, the old boat's highest lookout point. From there, he yelled, I'm ready! May the gods bless each and every one of you! Nothing from the Orion. Bastard woman! Don't draw out the small moment! Do it! Godard held a long pole with a swaddled, inflamed cloth at its edge. A DIY javelin engulfed in flames. Dude, you bastard!
smoke at once he loveless is in the dark fumes a voice rang out I love you I love you all I love you but I'm not able to love I love you still <laughs> a shrill cry from the man It didn't take long for the ship to go under. No one spoke. Despite her earlier resentment, Godard dutifully got the old book out of the skiff. She used latex gloves. Jen suspected the same gloves previously used to vivisect the monkey in the middle of the night, and dropped the book into a plastic baggie. No one had any curiosity what its contents were. Not today. Not on this day of death. They anchored right there that night. It didn't seem right to move on so soon. Everyone felt that way. Jen went to bed as fast as possible. Sleep was now the one safe haven left for Jennifer Dash. Come hell or high water, the peaceful dream world of Father Thomas beckoned her anew for comfort and repose. Before she faded to that nightly realm, Alexandra Keitel asked Jen, What was it? The thing Robles asked of you. He wants me to put in a good word for him at the gates of heaven. Lex asked, Will you? Hey everybody, Solve the World is produced by myself, Dante Stack. All the sound effects and music we use for this program are under Creative Commons licenses and can be found on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. I'd like to thank freesound.org and freemusicarchive.org for that material. Hey guys, if you like the program, please help me sustain it by writing a review on iTunes, sharing this program with a friend, or donating on our donations page at DanteStack.com. Thanks. See you next week. This is Jimmy from Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I've listened to all 100 episodes of Solve the World. Jorge Robles is dead. The day after his passing, after that dreadful encounter with the plagued Pythagoreans of the known triangle, the crew of the Orion will remember him in a theater of remembrance. They'll embiggen their collective memories of the man, spreading his tales as big as the sea. Small chapters of his life turned into exotic odysseys the likes of which no human save Robles has endured. The imaginative retellings are the Orion's way of dealing with conflict, dealing with pain, and of exercising collective demons. But the consequences of Robles' death will be far more literal than mere grief. We won't have time to retell the tales of Jorge Robles' life as the crew did, but we'll follow the dramatic events that follow his passing in detail. Jen's adventures will never again be as naval as they'll be on the next episode of Solve the World. (laughs) ¶¶